Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Well, welcome to Avant Life Church. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, my wife, Emma, and I, my name's Ben, uh, the pastor's here. We have the great privilege of leading this incredible family. Um, and we have been doing a series on culture called Culture is Key. And we are finishing it off with our fourth part today called Remain His. But before we get into that, I just need to make a, 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 an announcement that has a, effects on every person here. Um, You'd be aware, and if you're not aware, I'd be impressed how well you do it, um, not looking at the news or any information whatsoever, that we are in the midst of a just a virus outbreak globally. Um, and if you hadn't been reading the news, uh, North Vancouver had its first, uh, well, they would call it an epicenter outbreak in a Lynn Valley. Uh, yesterday, confirmed by the Chief Health Minister of British Columbia. Um, and so because of that, uh, we have made the decision that next week, or starting tomorrow for 14 days, um, that we will not be holding any major gatherings within the building. Um, and that simply means next weekend we won't be holding a service. The kids' uh, family uh, night activity, we will be postponing that. Uh, we'll be giving you further dates about where that will be rescheduled to. But the heart behind that really is not that we would cause mass hysteria or be a part of just trying to freak people out. But I do think as citizens of this of this city that we should do our part and to make sure that we are setting an example. And I do know that the the minister has requested that large gatherings, especially religious ones, uh, just be postponed for a 14-day period. Uh, and we will happily comply with that. If you do have any further questions about that, feel free to come ask me or one of our board members. We'd be more happy than happy to help with that information. But it really is so that, do you know, one of my big concerns as a church, and I've grown up in church, is that, uh, one, uh, we're persecuted anyway because of our belief. But two, sometimes we do things um, and it just doesn't make sense to the world and it just doesn't make sense to me. I believe that we serve a God that's all-powerful. I believe that I serve a God that is sovereign, but I also believe that I serve a God that's given me wisdom uh, and understanding. Uh, and the wisdom at the moment is not to gather in large numbers for the next 14 days. That doesn't mean God can't heal. doesn't mean God's not in control. Okay. It also doesn't mean that we're running scared. It just means that we don't want to be, and I don't want to be seen as the church that's like, you know what? Let's gather anyway. God's the God of all things, and he's a beautiful name, and we all leave as an epicenter of this viral outbreak. <laughs> and he'll be like, oh, I'm also the God of wisdom, which none of you used. Thanks, bro. So that is what I'm letting you know. However, we will be recording something so on Sunday uh, that you can tune into and watch and be a part of what's happening. I will be honest with you. I won't be offended if you don't do that. I know for a fact that if you had a Sunday off, you're going to get up late, <laughs> have some pancakes, you're going to maybe watch a bit of Netflix, scroll on your phone. Feel free to do that as well. Have a week off. I'm not stressed. But we will have it there. We'll have it as an option for you. Um, so don't feel like, oh, I have to do this. I will be announcing something really special next week on the... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Imagine that. That would be so funny. Anyway, moving on. Does everyone understand that? It also is the reason why we haven't been shaking your hand, hugging you this morning. We've just been given a bit of elbow, not to the head, just to the elbow. 
you know, just so that we are doing our best. I, I personally think that it is coming for all of us at some point, uh, but we're just doing our best to help with the slow. <laughs> it's like rain. It falls on the good and evil. Don't worry. All right. Joking aside, let's get into this. No one quote me on any of this stuff publicly. <laughs> Oh, it is on YouTube. Great. <laughs> remain His. So we started this series, four-part series on Remain Helpful, which I spoke on. Um, and then Pastor Emma did Remain Humble, which I heard was amazing. And then Joel spoke on Remain Hopeful, which I heard he knocked out of the park, which is, which is great. And I get to finish today on Remain His. Uh, and this is really that, you know, that, that key locking pin that holds it all together. Uh, is remain his. Um, and so we're going to be speaking about that. I recently, uh, if you haven't seen me for the last two weeks, I was in Australia doing a bit of ministry travel with, our, with Matt Giannakis, our 9am pastor. And uh, we had a lot of fun. We saw a lot of things. Matt pretty much saw half Australia within two weeks. Um, and he did that deaf because his ears were blocked. Um, it was great. I was just like, Matt was just sitting there quietly. Uh, <laughs> No, he, he was great. But I need to tell this story. He's going to be upset that I tell it, but it's such a funny story to me. Uh, so we're in Adelaide, and we were like, uh, I have a good mate that runs a church in Adelaide, and he has this brand new jet ski, and it's a beautiful jet ski. He's like, you guys want to go out jet skiing? I'm like, absolutely. I want to go out jet skiing. It's just like motocross on the water. That's what I told myself. And, um, and so we go out, and it's a fresh water. It's, uh, it's where the, the Murray River, which is Australia's largest river, enters into the ocean. Um, it's a beautiful part of the world, and it's fresh water, it's great, no sharks apparently, right Matt? And um, we go out in this jet ski, and we take turns, and I come back once, and I say, Matt, I went 108 kilometers an hour. And the, the Greek in Matt is competitive, he's like, my turn. So Matt goes out, and he's like, I think it's, it's about a 200 meter run, and you just hear him like squealing the whole way, yeah, yeah, he's squealing. <laughs> He comes back in and he's like, I did 110 kilometers. And I was like, wow, that's fast. And I was like, my turn. <laughs> so I go out and do the same 200 meter stretch. And I said, Matt, guess what? I said, I did 111 kilometers. I beat him by one kilometer. And he says, this is what makes me laugh. And he didn't believe that I did 111 kilometers because I didn't squeal. <laughs> he says, I didn't hear you squeal. <laughs> and I'm like, mate, you know, that's not a prerequisite, right? <laughs> You don't have to squeal. And then so he's like, okay. I said, Matt, this is your, you're the last person to ride it. This is your opportunity uh, to go. I wish I had the video. I actually have a video. I should have given it to you guys so you could have seen it. But he hops on this jet ski and he screams for Greece. <laughs> and I'm like, you're Canadian. Like, <laughs> for Greece. And then you just hear, and Canada. <laughs> like, later. It's an afterthought. He comes back in, and, and true to his word, Matthew, for Canada and Greece, did 112 kilometers an hour. So, <laughs> The amount of people after the 9 a.m. service is like, do you know that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard? <laughs> do you know water at that speed is like concrete? Do you know if you hurt yourself, who's gonna, was there a second jet ski to come get you? I'm like, these are actually really good thoughts. <laughs> None of which I've had until you told me. So <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Remain his. Do you know, often as disciples of Jesus, we often spend all our time 
and energy focusing on what we're doing, what we've been asked to do, how we're doing it. And, and that's all good. But after a while, and it, is, it takes place in every believer's life, and I've seen it take place in my own life. After a while, what happens is if we, we become so focused on the doing, we forget who we're doing it for and whom we're doing it for. And it's that whole notion and it's that whole thought that we can spend our whole journey of faith serving the kingdom without ever really getting to know the king. See, we think we know him. We think we're spending time with him. But really, we're not spending time with him. We're spending time doing things for him, which is a, is a great thought, but it's not why he came down from, earth, uh, from heaven to earth, died on a cross and rose again. It wasn't so that we could do things for him. It's so that we could be in relationship with him. And so today we're going to talk about some key areas that we can look at that talk about how do we go about remaining his. And when we say remaining his, we're talking about intimacy. We're talking about proximity with Jesus. See, if you've got a goal or a dream in your life that you believe God's given you, that's like a child. That's like a, it's like you've got to go through a birthing process. Who here has had a dream that has come into fruition, like a, a goal or a vision, right? We all have, so hopefully. Um, so I've never had a dream come into fruition. I'll be like, oh. <laughs> okay. Don't know what to do. But I do believe that we've all hoped for something and it's happened. We've all believed or dreamed for something and we've seen it or we've inherited it. And we all know that it takes some form of investment for that to take place. And when it comes to Jesus, that intimacy, that proximity, just like any other form of intimate or, or a, closely proxi- uh, a, cl- a close proximity to something, it births something. It creates something. It bears fruit in some way. And so we want to talk about how we do that because it's not automatic. We know the truth. It's not automatic. I wish it was automatic. I wish, no, I don't wish, but I, the, the thought can sometimes feel like you wish that your marriage is like easy and automatic the whole way. Who here is married and knows that there's no autopilot? <laughs> Who has looked for a long time? <laughs> you've got to invest. You've got to be deliberate. You've got to be compassionate. You've got to have all these different virtues. You've got to be kind. You've got to be, you've got to be compromising. And I know that's a word we don't, oh, I don't compromise or anything. Yes, we do. We compromise all the time. You've got to learn what it means to grow stronger in and through our relationship with Jesus. And it takes effort. It takes us being in proximity with him. It takes investment. It takes discipline. And it requires something that we don't like to talk about as much anymore. It's not a word we use frequently, but the word is devotion. It takes devotion. He who here goes, yep, I'm devoted to Christ. It was like the word we used to say 30 years ago. We don't say it anymore as much. Yes, I'm a follower. I'm a believer. I'm a disciple. But are you devoted to him? Have you devoted your life to his teachings? Have you devoted to be a vessel of his goodness and the good news? Are you devoted? And so we're going to talk about some tangibles that we can work on that will allow us to remain his, remain in intimate relationship with him and see the fruit and the outworkings of that intimacy be fulfilled in our life. So the first thing I want to talk about is fruitfulness. To remain his, we need to look at remaining fruitful. Jesus speaks about a vine and his followers being the branches of that vine. In John 15, 1 to 11, I'm going to read it to you. I apologize. He says abide a lot and I get lost in it. But here we go. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not, uh, that does not bear fruit, 
he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. We're going to stop there for a second. Interesting, he doesn't say every branch that bears fruit, you butte, all done. Complete, you succeeded. He doesn't say that. He says he prunes it so that you can bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them up and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you, you bear much fruit. And so, prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. What a great scripture verse to reflect on this morning. I love that concept that even in our fruitfulness, he creates more space for us to be more fruitful. And that whole idea that if you bear fruit, he will continue to prune just allows you to know as a great leader, as a great follower, you will never stop learning. You'll never stop increasing, never stop expanding your understandings. And then he talks about that whole concept that a branch separated from the vine can't bear fruit. That is so logical. It makes sense to us, right? that if a branch is not connected to the tree, if it's not connected to the vine, that it will not bear fruit. And then he says that it will be dried up and cast into a pile and that pile will be burnt. He's not saying that he's going to do that out of spite or that he's upset with you. He's just saying that's what takes place in a vineyard. We used to own, uh, we used to be at a house in, in Canberra that was owned by and built by a Greek family. And so it had like fig trees, had olive trees, and it had grapevines. Um, and the grapevines would, you know, you have to prune them back, and we would prune them back, and what's I, what I find amazing is that a grapevine stays green for a really long time. It's quite a long time, longer than you think, but when it does turn brown, it's not this slow process of slowly turning brown. A grapevine, when it turns brown and gets brittle, it almost happens overnight. It's like, boom, and then you're ready to burn that sucker. It's great to start a little bonfire in the backyard. And this is what Jesus is saying. When, they, when the grapevine didn't bear fruit, if those branches are not bearing fruit, the vine dresser will come and he'll prune back the tree, or prune back the vine, and they will pile them up. And they, they're too green to burn straight away. So in the pile they wait, but they, they get brown pretty quickly overnight. And then they're used as, as a form of kindling. And Jesus is drawing this illustration and he's allowing us to see, not that he wants us to be burnt up as kindling. He's just saying that's all that becomes useful for. What he wants for us is to remain connected in the vine. He says, so if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And then he says, I love you because I abide in my father's love. But what I think is really interesting here is, is that you can only abide in my love if you know my commandments. It's not this feelings-based 
moment. Though I do believe God, he created us with feelings and he loves that we have feelings. But at the end of the day, he's saying love is not dictated by feeling. It's dictated by principle, by his commandments. At the end of it, and I think it's awesome, he says, when you've done all these things, when you've had this revelation, my joy will be in you. And because it's in you, your joy will be made full. Full. It's a powerful thought. Not will be made mm, just enough or halfway. He says full. It will be made into completion. You, that whole concept is that if we are the vine, he's going to create from us this moment of joy. I love that thought that those who you know, truly abide will bear fruit. Jesus says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. I look at this branch concept and I think if we apply that to a modern day utensil, like a vacuum cleaner. If the vacuum cleaner is not plugged into a power source, what do you use it for? You would think someone's pretty crazy. You came into church, one of the hosts with a vacuum cleaner, church is empty, the stairs are stacked, and someone's in here with a vacuum cleaner that's not plugged in. Just (laughs) Imagine you came into that. You've got two options, right? What's your two options? Walk away or run. Never come back. Well, you, you plug it in. Help them out a bit. But that imagery is what God is trying. The modern day imagery is that. And often this is what it looks like as Christians when we're not actually connected to Jesus on a daily basis. We're just that imagery. We're doing something that makes no, that has no function anymore. Everything about following Jesus, everything about the word, the discipleship that we continue to develop in our life is all built upon one simple premise, and that premise is in relationship with Jesus. So if we don't have that, we're not abiding in him, then we're going to find ourselves in an interesting situation. I'm going to read what we say in our culture statement a little bit for you so you can really understand as a church what we're looking at when we talk about remaining fruitful as remaining his. We know that we can become independent and we can think that we're clever and we're strong and sometimes we can think that the fruit that we bore in the past was something to do with us or how we've been so clever and strong and we... We just forget that God was working in and through all of that. Ever been in one of those moments where it's like, oh, I got to do this last year. I was so good at it. So awesome. And then you start reflecting on what you did and how you did it. And, you know, it's so easy for me, right? Because I go, to, I go to like different churches or different conferences and they always ask, you know, how did you do this and how did you do that? Honestly, I'm the most honest conference speaker you'll ever get. I don't know. I'm like, we just followed God and there's no methodology outside of being faithful. There's no methodology outside of being obedient. There's no methodology outside of listening to the Holy Spirit and asking him, what do I do next? Like, I, can't, I can't write it on a page in a way that's going to give you a magic you know, serum to fix all your problems as a church planter. Like I tell them all the time, you've just got to hear God. And when you hear his voice, chase like nothing else. Let your faith chase that because 
There is no methodology in, in regards to what God does outside of his principles. And his principles aren't this 10-point thing. You're like, well, there's the Ten Commandments. And I picked the wrong number. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though, right? So this is what we say. We say, a branch can bear no fruit apart from the vine. Even strong branches can't bear fruit independent of the vine. The strongest branches cut off from the vine become as helpless as the weakest. The most beautiful are as helpless as the ugliest, and the best are as worthless as the worst when not connected to the vine. See, this is what I find interesting, is that we use this terminology, and I deliberately use this terminology, so that we can compute it, because we love the game of comparisons, but outside of the vine, comparisons exist, and we're all equal. With the vine... We're all made equal, and those comparisons don't exist anymore. Why? Because you could think yourself ugly, but with Jesus, trust me, guys in church, I've seen some crazy things happen. It's just the place to be. You might think you're the strongest, but out from the, you know, when you're cut from the vine, you, the strongest and the weakest, are in the same boat together. When connected to the vine, you're in the same boat together. Why? Because the vine demands that we all bear fruit. He equalizes everything. That's how it works. That's how Jesus works. He loves to make sure that if you're the first person picked to work in the vineyard or you're the last person picked in the afternoon, that you all inherit the same. Why? Because remaining fruitful in Jesus doesn't look like our comparative natures. It looks like what he's doing in and through us. And his work is powerful. Christians who, and, and I say this, who think they're bearing fruit, but they know they're apart from the vine, you're just hanging artificial fruit. Who's ever been disappointed when you go to the fruit bowl and it's wax <laughs> or plastic? So disappointing. If you've ever experienced that, now you know how Jesus felt when he got to the fig tree. Exactly what he felt. Like, what is going on here? This is what happens when we pretend to be followers. We're not connected. We're just artificial. And somebody's like, man, that person looks like they've got Jesus in there. Like, it's just Jesus is a real thing. And they get up closer and closer. And the worst case scenario is they encounter someone that's completely hypocritical, who's living a double life, who's not actually practicing what they preach, and they walk away from what could have been a relationship with Jesus. That's worst case scenario. Second worst case scenario is that somehow in all of that, they encounter Jesus, they have this revelation, and they realize you're a fraud. That's why Jesus says, don't be like lukewarm, be hot or cold. Pick one thing or another. Just don't be that person that distracts, dilutes, and at the end takes the focus away from the good news of the gospel and makes it so human that somehow it's based on how good we are or how perfect we are or how great we can make it look to others. The gospel doesn't need any of our help for that. The gospel's job is to transform us from the inside out, and as that happens, people will notice but if all you're doing is, is whitewashing it and not allowing it to transform you, you're not bearing any real fruit, then at some point, you can read it in the Bible, the Bible says, 
The whitewash will crumble. It will fall. You'll be exposed. And not so that you would be embarrassed or hurt or destroyed, so that we could begin the rebuild process. Because at the end of the day, grace is more about seeing you restored into what God has for you than you to keep an artificial illusion up so that others on this side of eternity would think you have it all together. That is not the outcome of a believer. At the end of the day, we don't know how long we are on this earth. And therefore, time on this earth is important, but it's not how much we live, but what we live for while we're here. How much do we donate? How much do we invest? How much do we set aside for the things of God? To bear genuine fruit, you must take your place on the vine and get close to Jesus as you can. Strip away all things of the world. Put aside the sins that distract you and sap your energy. Put aside everything that robs you of a deep, personal, loving relationship with Jesus. Stay apart from sin and be in God's word. You need to know this. This is your takeaway. All you have to do is remain on the vine, connected to the vine, abide in him. He is the one that does the work that bears the fruit. You don't do the work. He does the work. Your job is just to remain in him, immersed in him. That's what you focus on. Allow him to focus on the fruit-bearing part. Does that make sense? All right. The second one is to remain on mission. Now, I'm not talking, and I do believe it, and Paul writes about this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he goes on to list why he's not ashamed of the gospel, because it's universally applicable. It's all-powerful, right? And it applies in every situation of our life. It does not see culture as a boundary. It rises above all ideologies. That's what he's talking about. And that can be the mission on which we focus on. But I'm actually talking about remain on mission in regards to how close you are to Jesus, remaining on mission with him. Jesus in Matthew 10, while he's preparing to send his disciples out to preach, gives them a whole bunch of instructions. But then almost out of the blue, he tells them this one thing. He says, what I tell you in dark, speak in the daylight. And what I whisper in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. It's interesting, hey, that he just throws that in there. What I tell you in the dark. So you might wonder, how do these words apply to me today? And these were specific commands given to the apostles, and, and they're wonderful commands, and they're beautiful. And, and that thought that Jesus says here actually applies to us more today than we realize. How many of us spend time meditating on God's word? How many of us reflect through the gospels of what Jesus is wanting to do in and through our lives? Because when he says, what I tell you in dark, speak in the daylight, and what I whisper in your ear, proclaim from the roofs, what he's talking about here and how we apply that in a modern context is simply this. Do you get up early before the crack of dawn and give God that time? Did you pray? Did you read the word? Or the other option is, did you wait till the craziness of the day has finished and stopped, the sun has set, and at night spent time in his word and prayed and asked him for conversation. How many of us have done that? Because this is a key part, and Jesus says it, he's sending them out. And he says, but you need to remain on mission. 
And what does he say to them? So what I've spoken to you in those intimate moments, you now need to take and you need to speak to the world in daylight. What I've whispered in your ear in intimate moments, you need now stand on the roof and declare it and shout it out. But so many Christians, we, we hear everything else from what the, our friends are saying. Maybe we only hear what the pastor's saying once a week. We're not spending time in the Word. We're not remaining on mission. And therefore, what we repeat in daylight and what we shout over the rooftops just becomes rhetoric. Just becomes religious routine. And we just say it, and we think it carries power, but it doesn't because there's no revealed life in it. It's not from a devoted relationship with God. You're just simply rote learn something. You know what the equation equals, but you don't know the equation. And you're just saying it equals this, it equals this, it equals this, it equals this. But people want to know how. And the only way they know how is when you spend time in the Word with God. That's why he says, in the dark, I will tell you these things. In the intimate moments, I will tell you these things. But you've got to speak it in the daylight. If you don't ever feel like you have words to say in the world that we live in, I would challenge your reading time with God, your devotion time with God. Because there does not come a time ever in a believer's life that the word runs out of influence or the word runs out of an applicable approach in whatever we're going through. I know when I sit down on a daily basis and I pray and I read and I converse with God about what I'm reading, he begins to download into me what he wants me to know about that scripture. Well, Pastor Ben, I don't know how to read my Bible. That's not an excuse, unless you don't know how to read the language your Bible's written in. And then we need to figure that out. But at the end of the day, the Bible is written in two specific ways. One, you can read it verbatim, which is fine. But as you read it verbatim, you begin to realize that it is multi-leveled. The, the applications, this is the power of the word. They can apply in so many different ways, but never leave the core principle. How cool is that? Yeah. It's like gravity. You might think that gravity doesn't exist. You don't have to believe in it. I don't believe in gravity. But it's the very thing keeping your backside on the chair right now. You believe in it or not. And it's the same with the word of God. It exists. It is powerful. It is stirring, influencing, it's moving, and it has an effect on your life. But until you fully submit to it and begin to be devoted to what God is saying in and through it, you're never able to actually use the principle of the word. That makes sense? Cool. Jesus says in Matthew 13... If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Are you salty? Ever thought about that? Ever read the Bible and ask weird questions like that? Am I salty? Are you salty? Turn to someone next to you. Say, hey, are you salty? That's a long way to say, are you salty? (laughs) It's better than you smell salty. Is there a thing that smells salty? Anyway. Jesus is saying, this is what he says in other words, 
Disciples that no longer embrace and proclaim the truth of the gospel will no longer have a preserving and purifying influence on the world. The rotting and spoilage of the world will quickly follow. And we will no longer be carrying out the activities and hopes and dreams that he has given us to carry out. So what part of this work in your life, what part of what you're doing in him is allowing you to remain preserved and purified? I really believe that we are called to be the salt of this earth. But we can only understand that if we follow and discover what Jesus was saying in and through his teachings. And when we do that, he conveys his love and his righteousness and his preserving power. And it permeates all around us. As we learn and experience these truths, we become, we become, this is what you need to know, we become the broadcasters of truths to people that we influence. And what I love that it's not based on our opinion, it's not based on how I feel about that person, it's not based on all the gossip I might have heard on the grapevine about somebody. It's based about on what God is saying, his principles. He centers me. He keeps me on mission. He allows me to offer hope to those people regardless of what they bring to the equation. Often as Christians, we think that our, that our response is, is dependent on what's brought to the table. It's not true. We just live a life that glorifies God, that loves on others, and at the end of the day, there's plenty of work that only God can do himself. Jesus says in John eight twelve that, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, without the revelation of the person of Christ and the word of God, we would live in a spiritual world of darkness. Christians always forget this first. We come and become complacent and think that everyone else has had access or has encountered the word of God in the way we have and the presence of God in the way we have and that they've had that moment of transformation where they're beginning to realize that it's not all this religious rhetoric, it's not all this rule book stuff, but it is a relationship-based faith in Jesus. And we go through this, and it's, it's empowering, and it's powerful, and we love it, and it's awesome. And then we forget that our friends that not, have not encountered it don't get to experience life the same way we have. And that's not to say that it's, oh, well, they've got terrible lives. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about being in the darkness, being out of the loop of what Jesus says is his spiritual light. We, we, don't, we don't often think, oh, that's right, I woke up this morning, I can, I can see because Jesus has given me spiritual sight. Jesus goes on to say to his disciples that not only are they the salt of the earth, he calls them the light of the world. Now, this is in a different context to what he says in John 8, 12, which we just read. Because at a, at a moment, he's saying, hey, I'm the light of the world. But then he follows that up with, you are now the light of the world because you are in me and I'm in you. So all of a sudden, Jesus is not just lighting our path. He's now positioning us. He's now working in us so that we become the light of the world. Not that it is in our power or in our strength, but it's in his power, his strength, 
but because we're on mission with him, he abides in that. And so you can see how remain fruitful and remain on mission, stay connected. Because he's saying, hey, you've got to remain in me. Hey, you've got to do these things. And these things aren't hard. They're just relational. You've just got to be disciplined and devoted. You just, if you want a healthy relationship, make healthy choices. You spend no time with somebody, it's not going to happen. Emma and I were away for two weeks, and this might come as a surprise to you, but I'm, I actually don't like being away from Emma. Um, that came out weird. <laughs> Emma's great. It might come as a surprise that I'm that connected in the sense that I'm that, yeah, I'm needy, all right? Deal with it. And... Um, <laughs> And for our whole married life, Emma has always joked. She's like, Ben, you are like the funniest person. You don't even need to be talking to me. You just need me in the room. You're like, you get stressed if I'm not in the house or I'm not with you. you can't, you've got separation issues. I'm like, I know it's all these things because I love you. She's like, she's like, it's other things. I'm like, no, nah, it's because I'm devoted with you. I'm just like using all these Christian terms. And then before I left, we had this funny conversation where she says to me, she says, you know what? She's like, you're so needy. And I said, do you know what, babe? One day, I won't be affected by our separation, and you will. Because I'm that type of guy, you know, one day it'll be you. <laughs> we go overseas, I fly overseas with Matt, and guess what? Love my wife, missed my wife, but didn't feel as needy. But guess who did? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Felt like a one, but I didn't do anything. Anyway. That's how it should be like with Jesus. Hey, if Jesus is not in the room, something doesn't feel right. Hey, if he's not, if he's not sitting next to me, something doesn't feel right. Actually, I don't want to be away from him for too long, so I'm going to figure a way to get home. I need to get home. It's on my mind. It's 24-7. This is what we talk about being on mission with him. That's what I mean. I mean, like, in relationship with him, we don't use that word just because we're trying to describe a spiritual encounter. We use that word because that's what it is. You're in relationship with him. You're reading, you're praying, you're speaking, you're conversing, you're, you're casting your hopes into him. Jesus says in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give it light so that everyone in the house can see. And in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I love that scripture verse. Intimacy with Jesus, being on mission with him, is all about that passion that you got when you first encountered him. Do you remember? We get annoyed when someone encounters Jesus for the first time. You're like, no, we don't. We sort of do, because they are what we should have been. We're still passionate about experiencing God. See, when we know Jesus, that passion should continue to grow, not slow. That's the reality. Continue to, to mature, not diminish. You know, often we trick ourselves and go, well, oh, I'm more mature now, so I'm not affected by that. That's not true. You ask any person in a relationship, you've got to keep the passion alive. 
that doesn't mean you're immature. You just learn more mature ways of doing it. What I find interesting is that the Bible says that that light that we have in Jesus when we first encounter him should continue to grow so that it can light up a mountainside like a city, not struggle to illuminate but a single page on a book. That is what he's called us to commission with him so that we would be, that we are fruitful. We are on mission with him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And the last point is this. Remain in awe of him. You know, the whole concept, just backtracking a little bit with us being the carriers of light. I often look around and I find myself at awe at what God is doing in other people's lives as believers. Their passion, their zeal, their discipleship, their devotion. I, it, I actually begin to look at them and see what God's doing and I become more at awe or in awe of him. See, anytime I wonder how I, you know, how to let Jesus flow through me, I look at the Bible, but I also look around. I look at people that I've allowed to mentor me or lead me. I look at my dad. I don't know where he is. He's somewhere around here. You know, I got to grow up in a God-fearing, Christ-centered household. But I don't have to look too far to find that even within my, my earthly father, I, I see how he loves others, how he's loved his own family, but he's also loved complete strangers. The amount of times we've had people that I have no idea who they were in our house getting ministered to and prayed for and, and, and restored would be countless. When it comes to dealing with adversity or trials, I need only think of the times that I've seen my dad respond to trials and adversity. As a child, I would watch and learn, and it was always turned to God. It was always find my shelter in the tower of the Most High. His life, like ours, is another light in the world. Every time I think of my earthly father as an example, my heart praises my heavenly father, but from a position of awe. Ever wondered? Wow. Everything that's going on right now has no explanation. I'm just in awe. I love those moments. When you experience those moments, it's almost like when you, you know, you're driving up the, the hill for the first time when you've landed in Vancouver and you see the mountains of the North Shore. And in wintertime, they're snow-capped and you're just in awe. You're in wonder. And what I find so interesting is that that is but a minute representation of the grandeur of my God one little aspect and I look at it and I go, oh man, I've got to spend more time just in the wonders of my God. Paul writes this in Romans 11. He says, oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his path is beyond tracing out. What an incredible thought. I don't want ever my life and relationship with Jesus to grow into a routine. I want it to remain a relationship. I want to remain in awe. I want you guys to remain in awe of the goodness of God. When you look at your children in awe, the goodness of God. When you look at the family and the friends that he's given you, look around in awe of the goodness of God. 
I love to watch children when they experience something for the first time, the wonder on their, on their face, just that, this is accessible. Ever taken a kid to an arcade? And they're just like, wait, this card, I can play any game? Yeah, absolutely, go do that. And they do that, not realizing that's only possible because mum and dad put a whole bunch of money on that card. <laughs> it's the same thing with Jesus. We're like, all this is options now. All this is possible now. And we're like, wait, it's free? I can, I can, tr- I can do this? I can, I can achieve this? And he's like, yeah, let's, let's go do it. Not realizing what was paid for, what was put on the card. And he doesn't hold it over us. That's not the point. It was never to hold it over us. It was to set us free. It was to give us life and life abundantly. And if we lose our awe and wonder in that gift, we will lose ourselves, and we will never remain his. It's that awe and that wonder that Paul writes, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, exclamation mark. He doesn't say this as a pensive thought. He says it as a declaration. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He says it as a, as a thought that these will never be fully searched out. And then he goes on to say, unsearchable judgments. He's passed beyond tracing out. For some of us, that could be so concerning. But when you have the revelation of Jesus, that is so exciting that we serve a God that is far greater than we know or ever imagine, far more in love with us than we can ever comprehend, far more passionate about seeing our lives go into full fruition than we are about ourselves. That actually gives me confidence that I serve a God that is alive. An Orthodox theologian, Callistos Ware, writes this, and I often think about this. It's that it's not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of our knowledge, but rather the cause of our wonder. This morning, church, as we stand and as we worship and as we give God a little bit more time in word and song, can I encourage you, one, to remain his is the linchpin to being helpful, humble, and hopeful. But two, to remain his requires us, one, to remain connected to the vine, two, remain in mission with him, and three, and I really do think this is such a powerful one, remain in awe of him. So as we sing and as we corporately join our faith and our worship this morning, can we allow God just to leave us in awe and wonder this morning? Let's go. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.